Right. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and um, we come to a passage where even if you're not familiar with, with uh, the Bible, uh, you, might have, you might have heard the passage read at, at a wedding. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and read for us, and then we'll jump in and, and start. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have a prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver on my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. For the prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. This is God's word. Um, Countless number of songs and books and movies have been written about love. Um, But perhaps the most insightful comments that I've heard about love comes from kids. So here are a few quotes from how kids responded when they were asked to define what love was for them. So here are some uh, things from kids between ages 4 to 8. Love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure it tastes okay. Love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt and he wears it every day. I know my older sister loves me because she gives me all her old clothes and has to go out and buy new ones. (laughs) Love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him alone all day. When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. Lastly, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say a lot because people forget. Pretty insightful, I thought. Um, and I don't know if we could do any better. Um, you know, if there was a way to describe what the, what the issue was with the, the church in Corinth, I think it's mainly that they lacked love. Uh, from the very beginning of chapter 1, and we've been looking, well, we're at chapter 12 last Sunday, the issue, issue um, has been 
They lacked love. There were divisions in the church. There were divisions amongst or what they, how they perceived leadership of the church. They were divided. Um, some people were stumbling, other people who were maybe less, had less faith. Um, they were taking each other to court. Even when they gathered together to worship on Sundays, we talked about this in chapters 11 and 12, they were divided. I mean, as they came to worship together and as they took the Lord's Supper, they were divided between the rich and the poor. And as they prayed, even praying together, Paul says they were not unified. They were not united because people were trying to pray over one another using the gift of tongues. And so this church was divided and just simply lacked love. Um, and I think, I think that issue is not just for the church in Corinth. If you were really, if you were to kind of examine your heart and your life, I would imagine that most of us would say, you know, I'm not, I'm not loving. And can you imagine how your life will be different, how your relationships will be different if you are filled with like, love for others? Like, there will be so much more forgiveness and even healing if we were able to love other people. But this is, I mean, this is so hard. In the midst of all the brokenness and divisions that the Corinthian church was experiencing, Paul says, right in the middle, he says, what you guys need is love. This is the most excellent way, he says. When you come to when you gather to worship together and you're participating in Lord's Supper as you sing, as you pray, it's not about spiritual gifts. It's not about how well you perform. It's not about how, what kind of eloquent speech you, you can provide. No, what, what's really essential about the body of Christ is love. And so I want to talk about just three things. Here are my three points. One, we'll talk about the importance of love, and then descriptions of love, and then lastly, and hopefully most importantly, I think, how do we become more loving? How do we become more loving? So number one, uh, importance of love. So look with me at verse one. Well, we could get first four verses here. He says, Paul says, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So here I think Paul is saying, even if I could pray the most spiritual prayers, even if I could give most eloquent speech or a sermon, <laughs> He says, if I don't have love, I'm just loud and irritating noise. I was tempted to bring my son's drums here and just start banging on it. Can you imagine without me kind of talking? Just, I just start banging at a cymbal for 30 minutes. I mean, Paul says that's how it sounds like if you speak and pray without having any love in your heart. And then verse 2, and if I have a prophetic powers. That's like you could speak with power and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Even though the church in Corinth, even though they struggled with many different issues and, and they were divided, the thing that they, all the commentators say is that they were supernaturally empowered church. They had this gift of prophecy and gift of tongues. They had supernatural empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And what Paul here says, it doesn't matter if you could prophesy. It doesn't matter if you understand and have this wisdom and knowledge. It doesn't matter. He says, without love, you're nothing. Verse 3, 
if I give away all I have, if I deliver on my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Well, here he's saying, even radical generosity, self-sacrificial giving doesn't mean much without love. So what is, I mean, what is Paul getting at? I mean, because in other places in the Bible, and Paul talks about how our prayer life is important, how he does preach the gospel, how he encourages churches to give sacrificially. So these things can't be bad things. But what, so what is Paul saying? I think Paul, what Paul is getting at is these things are external things, right? It's your giving things, your speaking, your praying. He says what's really important, what really counts before God is your internal life, your character. That is there love in your heart? Um, imagine buying a used car, right? And, and I've, I've done that a few times. You go to Craigslist, and you just scroll down, just cars after cars after cars, and you pick one that looks nice initially, right? You go, oh, wow, this is like 2015, I don't know, like Mustang GT or something. Or you go, oh, my, wow, it looks nice. And then you begin to look at it and you go, wow, it looks so nice. But what's really important is, like, has it been an accident? What's the, what's the engine like? Is there a mechanical or electrical problem, right? Because external things could be good, but what's really significant is what's sort of under the hood, right? And I think that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, in some ways, church, whether it's Great Commission Community Church or any local church, he's saying it doesn't really matter in some sense what you do. Without love, it really doesn't mean anything. And so he, he would say something like this, I think. When you pray, make sure that you're, you're pursuing love, so that when you pray, you're praying out of heart that loves God and loves other people. So, if for instance, you know, as a pastor, I'm, I'm telling myself constantly, I need to pray. I need to pray for my people. I need to pray for the lost. I need to, I need to be praying. But I think what Paul is getting at is not so much like pray, but make sure that you love people. Make sure that you're loving the church. Make sure that you love your church. Make sure that you love people because it's out of that heart you can genuinely pray. Right? And same thing. Some of you might be leading small groups and there's an opportunity to speak and preach and teach. What Paul is saying is make sure that when you do things, Last Sunday, we talked about like prophetic word, right? Some things that you can say to other people that will impact them. Or make sure that even if you are able to do that, make sure that your heart is filled with love for them so that when you do speak into their life, it's not just knowledge and information that you're passing, but it's, it's the heart of God. Like people can sense whether you genuinely care for them or not, or whether you're just giving them information. Paul is saying, make sure your heart is filled with love. And same thing with being generous. Not just give because you're supposed to, or because you're moral, or you're religious, but do it out of love for God and love for others. May be worship unto the Lord. So here Paul says, this is important. This is the most excellent way to live the Christian life. Make sure that your heart's filled with love. Because without love, it doesn't really, even good things don't mean much. Second thing, descriptions of love. I just want to mention two things really briefly here. Verse 4, it says, love is patient. 
Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or, or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Two things really quickly. Just two observations. One, love is an action. In the English Bible, when you read it, it, it seems like love is described uh, with adjectives, right? So like love is patient. But in the Greek language, like in the Greek, it's, there are 15 verbs actually that, that Paul uses to describe what love is. So it's actually, it actually says love is, love suffers long time with patience. Love shows kindness. And so the message translation, Eugene Peterson actually tries to get this, get at this, and he says this, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't, uh, doesn't have a swelled head. Love doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep scores of sins of others. He goes on and on. So it's an action. And that's what I think that's one of the things that we're, we're supposed to get that love is not static. It's dynamic. It's forceful. It's, it's, it's you're moving. You're long suffering. You're suffering. You're able to suffer for a long time. That's love. Suffer for a long time with patience. It's action. And this is helpful, isn't it? Because a lot of times, kind of living in our culture, we, we think love is more about feelings, right? I feel like I, I love this person. Well, the, feel, the problem is, and the feeling is not, it's not good or bad, but the, the issue is your feelings go away, right? It, 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 sway, it goes up and down. But what scripture seems to say is, no, love is actually dynamic. It's, it's moving. It's active. It's action. It's a verb. You actually can do love. And that's why I think Scripture says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You can actually, God's commanding us to love because something that we actually do, we can do this. Love isn't action, it's active. Second thing here is, again, if we kind of think about how in the original language, I know it's a little hard to see in how um, the, the English translation gives it to us, but it's, you're supposed to sense like Paul, I think, is describing someone. Love is personified. Like love, it, there, it, like it's, it's action-oriented. And so I, I think when Paul wrote this, I think he had Christ in his mind. Like Christ is patient. Christ is kind. So think about this. On the cross, Jesus suffered for a long time with great patience. He endured great agony. Not only physically, but spiritually. He was separated from the Father's love for the first time ever. He experienced this pain and suffering hung there for, for our benefit. On the cross, He forgave sins done against Him. As He's dying on the cross, being crucified, He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That's, that's love. So as Paul is writing, describing for us what love is, I think he has Jesus Christ in mind. Love ultimately is a person. 
is Christ. Because when we see His life, especially His, how His death on the cross, we get to see how He placed other people before Himself. He was utterly selfless. We read from Philippians chapter 4, though he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to hold on to. But he emptied himself, becoming, becoming a servant, even dying on the cross. He emptied himself even though he was God. I mean, that's what Paul is talking about. He has a person in mind. So with those things, two things, let's talk about how do we become a loving Person, how do we become loving people? Um, when you look at this, it, it has a lot of what love is not supposed to be. So he says, love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. And I think Paul puts those things in that way because the Corinthian church was rude and arrogant and irritable and boastful and resentful. I mean, this is what the Corinthian church was like. I think if, if we were to examine our life, I think in some ways this would be us as well. We're, we're irritable. We're resentful. Um, we're arrogant. Maybe not externally, but internally. We're boastful. Yeah, how, do we, how do we move out of this and actually becoming, become someone who is loving? Because... Uh, the, the two greatest commandments in, in Scripture is to love Lord your God, love God with all your heart, and love others as you love yourself. And practically speaking, imagine again how your relationships will benefit or, or flourish if you are able to love other people better. Your spouse, your kids, your parents, your friends, your coworkers, your, your neighbors. If we can love people better, imagine, imagine how much different your life will be like. So this is really significant. So how do we become loving people? I want to mention three things briefly. One, we need, if we're going to ever become loving people, we need the love of Christ to first break into our life. Let me say that one more time. We need, if we, we need the love of God, love of Christ to break into our life. And, and that's, that's because we can't on our own like, become a loving person. Like we're too broken. The, the whole story of the Bible is that by, at, in Genesis chapter 3, sin fell and it, it broke everything, including our hearts. And so even if you wanted to love someone sacrificially and, and unselfishly and give them all that we have, we can't do it because our hearts are bent towards ourselves. We naturally love ourselves more than others and God. And the so first step is we need to acknowledge that we can't do this on our own. And we say, God, I can't love people like you want me to. And so I need you. And when we, get, when we, get, we can do that, and we say, God, I can't do this on my own, but I need you. I, I know that you, you can love through me. God comes and, and we begin to experience God's love for us. And Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, And may you have the power to understand 
as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So Paul's prayer is basically, I want you Christians or people to, to experience this love of God that's, that's beyond your imagination. It's, it's wider and higher and longer and deeper than, than you, what you can ever imagine. He says, we, you need to experience this power, this love of God for you. And then when it comes, it shatters us, but it also heals us. I, mean, I imagine it, I, I think it this way. Imagine standing under the Niagara Falls. You're just standing there. You're not just getting wet, right? You're like getting engulfed by the water, the immense, the power of water surrounds you. I think it's something like that. It's, it's the love of God in Christ that comes at us, that shatters and breaks away our bitterness, our pain, our, our resentment, our sin. It, it, it shatters all of those things, and we're able to then say, God, this is what I need. I need to experience your love for me. Another, another picture that came to my mind is, I don't know if the kids, kids would um, appreciate this, but imagine, um, is it Cyclops that has like beams come out from their, like laser from their eyes? Any kids? Yeah, is that right? Cyclops? Okay. I imagine like Jesus as Cyclops, okay? And his love is going out. Like from his eyes, and it penetrates into our hearts, and all the layers of pain and frustration and all that is not right, it gets shattered, and Christ's love captures us. Something like that. I don't know if that's helpful. But we need to be under the Niagara Falls of God's love and to be engulfed by Him. How do, we, how do we experience that initially? Well, we experience that by saying, God, I can't earn your love for me. I can't, I can't, I can't be good enough. It's by grace. I trust in what your son has accomplished for me on the cross. And you come and you say, I can't earn this, but I know you, did, you long to give this to me because you're God of grace. And you stand there and God comes. It's by grace through faith. We need this if we're going to love other people. First John chapter 4, verse 19 says, We love because first God, God first loved us. We need this kind of love to engulf us so that we can begin to love other people. That's the first thing. Second thing, briefly, is we need to abide in Christ. This is from John chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him... He it is that bears much fruit. So he's saying, if you stay with me, walk with me, your life will be transformed. You'll become more loving. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I've abided in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So another way that we, a second way that we grow in love for other people is that we need to be abiding with this Christ who is full of love. That we stay with Him. We're connected to Him so that He changes us. That we become, we bear fruit. We become loving people. That, it, that His love flows through us and that we can be changed and begin to love God and love others. So we abide, we walk with Christ. We remain in Him. How do we do that? We do it by His Word. We, we carve out times where we spend time with Him. We, we read Scripture. We read His Word. We live in obedience. We, we sit and, and just fellowship with Him. We need, we need to carve out times to do that if we're going to abide in Him because that changes us. That changes hearts. It's no good for us to say, I can't, I can't change. I can't change. I can't be loving enough. And we never abide in Christ. Right? It's when we abide in Him, He changes us. So we need to abide in Him. Lastly, we need to stir up one another to love. This is from Hebrews chapter uh, 10. He says, the writer of the Hebrew book of Hebrews says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Let us stir up one another to love. What Hebrews is, the book of Hebrews, or the writer of Hebrews is saying is, you can't do this on your own. We need to come together to stir up one another. That word stir up is, it both means to encourage, but it also means like engaging in sharp disagreement. So I think what the writer is saying is, we need to, we need to like be involved in one another's life and stir up each other to love. Like love is not a passive thing, right? It's like we need to be stirred up and, and we need to do that together. Um, and this is why, partly why we gather together on Sundays. When we come and gather together on Sundays, like our hearts ought to be stirred. Because just left to our own devices, just living life, our hearts are not stirred to love. Our hearts are stirred to be irritable. Our hearts are stirred to be angry. Our hearts are stirred to be resentful. But when we gather on Sundays, the Holy Spirit uses the songs that we sing, the preaching of the Word, the communion, and one another in fellowship to stir us to love Him more. Well, our hearts need to be, st- be stirred. And that's why everything that we do, it has a flow where we say, we sing these songs so that it will stir us. And ultimately, our hearts are stirred to say, God, you are great. Like, you are faithful. The first song that we sang, you're faithful. You're great. And what that does is it reminds us that we're not at the center. We're not that great. God's great. So we want to love Him. This, um, this illustration comes from... Uh, a writer, Christian writer named James K. Smith, and he's a Christian writer and professor, and he says this. He says, think about, think about how often you use your iPhones. Okay? Like you swipe, you scroll down, you magnify, you minimize, magnify. How many times do we do that per day? 50 times? 100 times, maybe? Now, let's say, let's say that's, that's your habit, right? You're not 
consciously doing it. You just kind of do it because you're looking, you're looking at an article or looking at a picture or a video, and that's what you do. And he talks about how that's so, so interesting. He said that that builds a habit. Like, so unconsciously, you're just, like, you're at the center. Like, you can delete things that you don't like. You can maximize the things that you really want to focus on. You can swipe things that you want to just quickly browse. I mean, it's, this is what we do all the time. And he says it's a habit that we create that reminds us, that tells us, that our hearts, that we're at the center. And the whole world is, revolves around me. I'm great. I love me. That's what happens unconsciously in your life every day. But we come to worship the living God on Sundays to say, No, I am not at the center. You, oh God, who gave your son for me, is at the center. You created the universe. And so, and I submit myself to you. You are great. I'm not great. Because if I'm great, if I'm at the center, my life will fall apart. No, you are great and I worship you. And what happens is our hearts are stirred. To love Him more and to love others more. That's why the book of Hebrews says, continue to meet together so that you can stir up one another. And this is amazing because it comes in chapter 10 after he's, talk, he's talked about Christ in the Old Testament for nine chapters. And he basically says, here are three exhortations and this is one of them. What Christ has accomplished, He's done that so that we can gather together to stir up one another to good works, to love one another, to love God and love others. This is what we need to do. And so those three things, I mean, it's, it's a lifelong journey, but how do we actually grow in love? We need to first experience God's love for us in Christ. Secondly, we need to abide in Him. We need to be vigilant about this. This is a serious matter. We need to abide, remain, and walk with Jesus. Thirdly, we need to come together to stir up one another to love and to do good works. There are many other things, but I think those three things will get us started. And it's, those are good places for us to start. I'm going to end by reading this short story of a, of a, from a, a child. We started our time uh, thinking about what kids said about love. And here's an example of what a kid who's nine years old wrote about, about love, in a sense. So let me go ahead and read for us. It's really short, and then we'll spend some time in prayer. A mother of nine-year-old boy named Mark received a call from his teacher in the middle of the afternoon. Mark's teacher said, Mrs. Smith, your son did something that surprised me so much that I thought you should know about it immediately. The mother was uneasy and nervous by such a beginning to a call from, her, from his teacher. The teacher continued, I have, I've been teaching for a long time and nothing like this has happened ever before. This morning, I was teaching a lesson on creative writing, and as I always do, I tell the story of the ant and the grasshopper. The ant works hard all summer and stores up plenty of food, but the grasshopper plays all summer and does no work. The winter comes, the grasshopper begins to starve because he has no food. So he hops to the ant's house and begins to beg, Please, Mr. Ant, you have so much food. Please let me eat too. Then I challenged the kids in the class to write the ending to the story. And then she says, 
as in all the years past, most of the students said that the ant shared his food through the winter, and both the ant and the grasshopper lived. A few children said, no, Mr. Grasshopper, you should have worked in the summer and not played. Now I have just enough food for myself. So the ant lived and the grasshopper died. I feel like mean kids there. And the teacher says, but your son ended the story in a way different from any other child ever. He wrote, so the ant gave all of his food to the grasshopper. The grasshopper lived through the winter, but the ant died. And the picture at the bottom, at the bottom of the page, Mark had drawn three crosses. And he wrote, he gave everything to us so that we might live. But Jesus died. All right, let's pray. Let's pray together as we um, close our time. I'm going to ask our worship team to come and uh, yeah, play uh, for us. But maybe we can start here just this morning. I don't know about you, but I, well, you know, this, this week, thinking about this passage and this chapter, I was so humbled and just needed to repent because I recognized that so much of my life revolves around me. Um, even, even as a pastor who, who's, you know, whose job is to serve people, I, I recognize that oftentimes it's done out of a leaking heart or a heart that's not really engulfed by God's love. And so I have very little to give. And, and so I just spent time repenting um, that, about that, just saying, God, I am so sorry that I've made life about me and I'm at the center. Um, I need to begin to experience your love for me more and more and abide in you so that I can love people. And I want to love people well. My guess is that some of us or most of us um, are in a similar place. You know, we've made our life about us. And the thing is, when that happens, life doesn't work well. Things, like, things fall apart. And maybe that's where some of you are this morning. So can we, let's just take a minute and um, be stirred to love God and love others. Maybe just saying a, a prayer of repentance, just saying, God, I, I, I don't want to be at the center because I can't manage life. I need you to be at the center. I need you to be leading me. I need you to be my guide. Um, I want to love you and love others. And so, yeah, let's take a minute to do that. And uh, afterwards, we'll uh, take communion together. But um, give us a minute to just reflect and pray on your own.